0: Bud Light presents Real Men of Genius. Real Men of Genius. Today we salute you, Mr. Push-Up Bra Inventor. Mr. Push-Up Bra Inventor. Never before has one man done so much with so little. On higher. From mosquito bites, pimples, and pancakes to melons, mountains, and major league yabos. An engineering feat so brilliant, it can only be described as va 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 boom. Thanks to you, even a 90-year-old grandmother can go from A to double D in a single bound. So crack open a nice cold Bud Light, oh oyster of the hooter, because when it comes to the bust, you're the best. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Bud Light like Beer, and I said St. Louis, Missouri distance tonight. Three pitchers have been used by the Atlanta Braves. There's a look over the first base. The is backed up a little bit. Now here's the pitch similar. he got him. That's number 300 for J.R. Strikeout number 300. And there's the shake of a hand by Louis Pujols. The second year in a row the J.R. Richard has struck out 300 batters becomes only the second pitcher in National League history to do that. Sandy Koufax in 1965 struck out 382. And Colfax did it in the 1956 with 317. And John Wetland one
1: more time said, and here comes the 2-2 pitch to Edgar Martinez down. The
0: fastball swung on hit the deep center field. Bernie Williams goes back and he- top the robinson gearing studio complex in straight out of god's country paulie's island south carolina the let's talk baseball podcast network proudly presents backwards k pod and now here's the host of the show jake robinson
1: good moment baseball universe what is up once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Paulie's Island, South Kagalecki. Half man, half podcast machine. Back into Captain Kirk's chair. Shields down, boltons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pod. Where we collect ballplayers. And their stories. What's up, c What's juicy? I am so honored and blessed to have you here with me for another week at BKB. As I find myself hopeful these days. And as we all know, hope spring is eternal. Standing on the premises of yet another crazy baseball season of moments, personalities, the highs and lows, the divide between greatness and mediocrity, and ultimately... Another chapter written, documenting the greatest sport ever invented on God's beautiful blue and green marble, baseball. What's up, folks? Hello, everybody. Jake the Snake Robinson here. I got your hookup. Holler if you hear me. Backwards K Pod is available on all platforms, wherever you listen to your pods. Or you can swing on over to my website, Diamond Snake Jake com to hear all well, this or any of the other shows that I got in my crazy, crazy expanding vaults of archives. I will never charge you for the baseball content here. I wouldn't pay for any pod shows myself, so I'm damn sure I'm never going to do that to you, my beautiful fans. No Patreon, no pay-to-play, crowdsourcing. I'm going to keep coming through every Tuesday with that free baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And some people, you know, they love to fly planes. Some people love motorcycles. They like to hunt. They like to fish. They golf, cigars, politics, skiing. Whatever it is. This is my love in life, folks. Sitting down every week and sharing the history and the tradition of baseball with you, the audience, is my true outlet in life. I am but a humble servant of the game. My goal before I die is to spread the gospel of baseball around the world. I'm determined to leave my voice for future generations long after I'm gone. So, look, if you enjoy this program, do me a favor. Listen, download, share. Leave me a review about my performance on the platforms that allow you to do so. Doesn't cost you a penny. And it allows me to continue doing the one thing in this world that I truly love. And that's talk baseball with the good people such as yourself. I uh I promise myself to not run these shows as long as they have been lately, but I do have a couple of announcements I want to make this week. Number one, the the annual Managers Deadpool, it still has a few spots open, this is a contest where I'll call your name on the air, we reach into a hat, we pull out a 2023 MLB manager, and if he gets fired, you'll win a prize. To get in, all you gotta do is leave me an email, backwardskpod at com. you can leave a message on our Twitter at back underscore k underscore podcast, or you can hit me on Facebook, either on my personal profile or the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network, private group group page and that drawing will be on a bonus show in about two weeks now and i got more to come on that next week secondly i want to welcome bud light to the show as they have agreed to join the bkp party how about that commercial at the top of that uh, little uh open there good stuff so by all means Support the show, drink Bud Light, or, you know, any Budweiser products for that matter. I'm so proud to have them to be a part of this. Uh, as far as, like, you know, a national powerhouse, that's a huge get. Uh, but but I ain't done there. Uh, Backwards K-Pod also has been picked up by another great product that I hope you guys will support. It's... From a shipmate of mine, from my Navy Dave's, he came up with this mind blowing invention. I mean, it's crazy to clean your hands after a shrimp boil, crawfish, or or uh, steam crabs. He also has expanded the business to include uh, like a hot wheat, wings, cleaner, soaps, and wipes as well. And it really is ingenious stuff. Uh, he 's not only agreed to advertise here but he has agreed to sponsor any of and all of our special events that backwards k pod and the let 's suck baseball podcast network do for the next twelve months and look he 's uh He's a, he's a good cat, man. He's a Creole guy. So he's got a lot of experience with seafood. And he li- literally figured out how to get rid of the spices that get in your pores, maybe your eyes, as well as that seafood smell. And we literally agreed in principle while preparing for this show. And I'm going to have spots for them next week. And, folks, it's an unbelievable grassroots product that I believe in. And I hope you will support the products that support me and the Backwards K Pod show. My next next announcement is a a programming note. And I will be sitting down with former Orioles stud Betty Ayala for a one-on-one interview that will be released on the morning of April 6th. So, all you little Oriole freaks headed out to the home opener versus the Yankees at Camden Yards, you're going to get a chance to hear Benny on the way to the ballpark. So, that's another BK Bonus pod I'm bringing as I will chop it up with uh, Orioles fan favorite from back in the day, Mr. Benny Ayala. And I can't wait. He's in great spirits That mustache is still epic, and dude was a Southpaw killer off the pond for my birds back in the day. I'm really looking forward to connecting with Benny, and again, that will drop early on the morning of April 6th for your commute to Camden Yards for that home opener against the Yankees. Today's topic uh, is my dear friend and one of the greatest Astro pitchers ever. JR Richard, I can't wait to honor m- my lost friend this week. I- okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. This is gonna be a little hard for me. There's gonna be times when I'm gonna have to like rein myself in because uh, I really love JR, and I can't wait to honor my my friend. Uh, before I do so, I want to sh- send a shout-out to a young pitcher in the Houston area right now. Big Astros fan. Probably listening to the show and wants to learn about uh, J.R. Richard. Uh, Mr. Jacob Labarus. Uh, he pitched for the gold, the blue and gold-clad Klein Collins High School, The Tigers. He enjoys listening to the show, and I want this young man here to know that BKP and the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network, we got your back. You're in our hearts, in our prayers. Uh, Jake is about to go undergo uh, about to undergo surgery tomorrow on his torn labrum. The doctors are convinced that it really shouldn't affect his pitching once he is healed, but it's going to be a long road back. And us, Jake's, we got to stay together, bro. And this show is here for you on your way back. And I can't wait to watch you on video next year. Back to your good old rock star ways on that bump, buddy. Jacob Laparus. Say a prayer for my dude here. He's literally family in our Seamhead Army. You got this, Jake. The Army is behind you 100% while you recover, buddy. So I wanted to give a shout out to him going under surgery. Uh, coming up. So, with all that being said. And with this surge in excitement going around at the Robinson Geary Studio Complex and, you know, within the context of this show, I'm all jacked up on Mountain Dew. I'm coming in guns hot this week. I'm ready for us to traverse baseball space and time and my time travel choo-choo. And I see the catchers coming down right on the back. That dude is meat. I see the infield has begun to throw that rock around, so let's clear this port- platform as I call all aboard. And I'm going to send our uh, set our time and destination to March 7th, 1950, 73 years ago today. And we're going to go to a little town outside of Ruston, Louisiana called Vienna. As this week, I will be honoring my brother, my good friend, J.R. Richard. And I really don't want to make this story about me, although I am part of this story. I I do think it's imperative to lay the groundwork on our friendship before he passed two years ago. For years, J.R. was somebody I I, I desperately wanted to interview. He was someone I admired as a kid. He was big, strong, athletic. He had the coolest baseball cards. And If I'm being honest, look, he was black. A pitcher in the 80s, a true ace. There there weren't many of those laying around. He was a source of pride. He had almost like this Superman quality about him for me and my uncles and cousins. And JR was larger than life. And after the career was cut short, and we'll get to that, of course, he just kind of disappeared off the grid. But I never forgot the baseball legend that JR had already crafted in my brain. So, to make a long story short, finally, with the help of a friend who lives and works in Houston, we chased him down in 2019. And look, I'm gonna be honest. JR was screwed by many people in the media through the years, people misconstrued him. They placed unfair labels on him. And in time, he had formed like this protective, like cocoon, like shell around himself. And his wife was, you know, very loving and protective of him as well. It wasn't just I asked if I could interview him and he gave me an immediate answer. No. It was an actual negotiation over the right to interview him. And in many ways, I kind of felt like. In these negotiations, he was interviewing me. Now, I'm not going to get into the particulars of the negotiation, but I got the sense the whole time that both of us are kind of sizing each other up. And if I'm being honest, there's a point there where I can only imagine standing in a box, you know, staring at him 60 feet, six inches away. I wasn't intimidated, but I knew, you know, I better bring my A game and I better execute this pitch for this interview perfect. And throughout the negotiations, we became connected. And finally he could see that I was trustworthy, credible. And I could tell that he really wanted to tell me his story. So finally he agrees. And I was able to do the last living interview with J.R. Richard. And you can find that on the Backwards K-Pod YouTube page. Now, I've been interviewed quite a few ball players in my day, but usually after an interview, the two sides cool off, and there's rarely any interaction until like the next interview, right? Well, Jr. he, he was different. He would call me out of the blue and be like, "Mr. Jake, how are you? How am I, bro? You're forking Jr. Richard, and you're calling my phone. I'm, I'm fucking awesome, brother." He would send me Christmas texts two years in a row before his death. J.R. Richard, my childhood superhero. Merry Christmas, Mister Jake. I love you. I'll never delete those messages. And we had actually planned to do a uh, you know a, a trip and appearance together at the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City, but COVID nineteen destroyed that. So. Now that I told you of my connection to Jr., I'd like to honor my friend on the seventy on his seventy third birthday today, as our time travel choo-choo has brought us to Vienna, Louisiana, where his story begins. And, folks, this is a tragic story. Although my godfearing friend would probably never want me to say that about him, so in deference to Jr. in this, it truly is, and it is a story that should be retold until the very end of baseball time. Much like the Greek tragedy tragedies written thousands of years ago, Jr. is akin to the classic hero ruined at the height of his glory by forces beyond his control. When old-timers like me talk about JR, the converse, the conversation inevitably turns into a dialogue of what-isms and like what Like would the Astros have gone to the World Series in 1980. Would they have won multiple World Series? How about the year when Mike Scott came to that staff? Would he have struck out 1300 or, I'm sorry 300 batters again? Would he want to Cy Young? And of course, would JR. have been a Hall of Famer? And all these questions are legitimate and speak to the power and the abilities of JR. Richard. And a 10-year career. James Rodney Richard. I mean, just that name is powerful and almost regal pretty fitting for the baddest line in the jungle, but I'm getting there. James Rodney Richard, born 73 years ago today in Ruston, Louisiana. He grew up in nearby and rural Vienna, and what he once told me was a middle-class black family with a foundation of God and hard work. His loving parents, Clayton and Lizzie, were you know, great parents. And they, they worked hard. They taught their son what it takes to survive in this world. And Jr. once told me that he and his pops had a father-son sit-down moment one day. And this is in early in his teenage years. And his father says to him, Have more for your family than I have for you. And Jr. promised his father that day he would do just that. And it motivated Jr. to have this mindset to be the best at everything is that he did, and to never take things for granted. And cemented with this Type A personality as his psychological profile, the freak athlete begins to fill out his gangly frame. By a senior year at Ruston High School, he stands six foot eight tall. Six foot eight inches tall, he weighs 222 pounds, and he is literally a man among boys in all sports. And JR and I used to always laugh about how he never lost a high school game he started in his senior year. In fact, he never lost a, a game, a start in his high school career. He gave up a grand total of 0.0 runs in his starts during his senior year. Oh, and that brother could rake too, man. The funniest story he ever told me is how how in one high school game, he dropped DONG four times and pitched a 48 to nothing shutout. Now, I don't even think Otani has ever had that type of day at the office. And if that wasn't enough, his basketball ceiling was so high that he entertained literally hundreds, maybe like close to two hundred offers to play hoops at places like UNLV, LSU, North Carolina. He turned them all down. He also excelled at football where he played quarterback, defensive end, and he was the best punter in Prep, Louisiana. And again, Prominent football power colleges were desperate to recruit him, but he opted to enter the 1969 amateur baseball draft because of upfront bonus money in the amount of one hundred thousand dollars which the Houston Astros rewarded him with after making him the se- second pick of the 1969 draft. And you know, though I, I like to give you some context here: a hundred grand in 1969. It has the purchasing power of almost eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the twenty twenty-three economy. So JR would progress uh quickly through the minors, advancing the Astros, AAA, Oklahoma City 89ers in 1971, where he led the league in strikeouts in the ERA. And he had bouncing control problem, problems, which always had a tendency to rear its ugly head throughout his playing career. But he also had this dazzling array of like 93 mile power sliders, fastballs clocked at 100, and this big bender of a breaking ball that could make literally make you shit your pants if you're guessing fastball. And again, he did have control concerns, but he was such a fucking beast, he could simply overpower batters when he was on. In his first season on the farm, he walked 68 batters in 109 innings. But he struck out 138 batters in those 109 innings. And he hurled a no-hitter. The Astros knew they had a climb still here. Now they gotta rein them in. Teach them how to stay within himself. I asked JR once. Was it your size that made your mechanics a little wonky sometimes? The size of your hands? And he told me emphatically, no. I just had to learn to quiet my body. I had a lot of movement above the waist. But when I was on, my upper half was quiet mechanically. You know, it's it's, it was so great to talk about it. Because sometimes you could talk to JR. And you could tell he was a little fuzzy on it. You know, he couldn't quite remember quite the way He wanted to remember it. But then he would say stuff like that about his mechanics. And, you know, it would just just kind of stop me in my tracks and realize that there's a baseball savant pitcher that lives inside that body. On September 6, 1971, the 21-year-old J.R. Richard made his Major League debut in the second game of doubleheader at Candlestick Park versus Willie Mays and the fourth-ranked MLB team in offense, the San Francisco Giants. Uh, outside of his hometown of Vienna Rustin, and the most diehard of Astro fans watching the farm prospects, he pretty much arrived in relative anonymity. He was joining a team that was 16 games out of first place in the NL West, despite a second-best National League ERA of 3.13. The Strohs couldn't hit their way out of a paper bag, and they struggled all year with key injuries and near-team mutinies with manager Harry the Hat Walker. The Giants team he is matching up against, they're both formidable and dangerous. Mays, McCabe, Gaylord, Marichal, Bobby Bonds, Dave Kingman and company. They're in route to the NL West crown. And nothing deters my boy though the biggest baddest line in the valley and he used to smile when he called himself that he wasn't bragging or putting anyone down it was just fact like saying the sky is blue or money is green With his 100-mile-per-hour cut fastball and a slider that topped out at 94 that day, J.R. Richard put the NL on notice, striking out 15 Giants in his Major League Baseball debut, tying the record set by Brooklyn Dodgers pitcher Carl Spooner at his 1954 debut, also against the Giants. And he would never, never forget striking out one of his childhood heroes, Willie Mays, three times that day. So, the Astros know they have a kid here with a huge upside, but JR does struggle as a young pitcher with control. So, over the, over the next couple of seasons, JR would yo yo up and down the organization between the farm and the big show, working on his command. 1974, AAA Denver, JR would post a 0.0 ERA in 33 innings, and the Astros promoted him for good. Sure, he still had his bounce with wildness, but there was no longer any doubt about J.R. Richard and his future with the Houston Ball Club. He had done all that he could do on the minor league level. In 1975, the rebuilding Stros, They gave J.R. a full-time slot in the rotation. And even though the team slumped to a then franchise worth 64 97, JR was the shining light of an optimistic future, going twelve and ten with a four point three nine ERA. Not bad for a kid out of Vienna, Louisiana, living off his physical intangibles against the best hitters on the planet. But it wasn't good enough for JR and his prideful, competitive spirit. As he spent the off season working at his craft, and nineteen seventy six would be the season that the baddest line in the valley would make his mark and capture the attention of the baseball universe. In 1976, J.R. Richard became recognized as an elite talent on the mound. He is respected and he is feared. He would unseat Larry Durker as the opening day starter. His first opening day start, and it was a disaster. He lost to the world champion Reds 11-5, to but... JR picks himself up after that start and he rolls out a five game winning streak. Even though Houston flounders around, you know, a 500 winning percentage for all of 1976, JR is quickly amassing W's in his starts. After winning his 18th game, with only seven more games to play in the season, JR pitches two more games, two more complete games, both victories giving up only one run in the two games combined to become only the second Houston Astros pitcher to win 20 games. And he also joined the exclusive Black Aces Club, which are, you know, black American pitchers who have won 20 or more games in a season. And folks, some guys are going to try to tell you that W's are a useless stat. Well, if you believe that a W is a completely useless stat with no value, you are really missing the fucking boat. You're going to tell me that a W has no value when you're Steve Carlton winning 27 games on a filthy team that won 59 in 1972? Are you really going to argue that with me? You're just repeating something you probably heard Bill James say, and I love Bill, but sometimes even the great Bill James is wrong. Of course wins have value. Look, tell me a 300-game winner who wasn't great. I'll wait. Actually, I won't wait because you can't name one. It's the silliest argument I've ever heard. JR won 20 games on a team that finished more than 20 games behind the Reds. Of course wins matter. Of course they have value. I'm all for metrics and having a better understanding of numbers, but whoever came up with this idea that wins don't matter must have never played the game before. Like, ever. It's one of the dumbest arguments that analytics make, in my opinion. And it's an argument like that that makes me understand why some people have such a visceral reaction to metrics and analytics. But I digress. Let's take a look at JR's breakout... 1976 season. Let's see here. 1976 season. 1,218 batters faced that year. Jr. goes 20 and 15 with the NL seventh best ERA of 2.76. 39 starts, 14 complete games, folks. He threw three shutouts that year. In 291 innings pitched, he surrendered a league high, 151 walks. But he struck out the second most National League hitters, 214. He became the first throws hurler to ever crack 20 wins. A 116 ERA plus, 1.28 whip, 3.39 hip. And he came 17th in NL MVP voting. He was 7th in voting. For the NL Sox. So clearly, JR's breakout season, but the best is still yet to come. Fresh off his 21 season, JR continues to dominate these uh, poor NL batters. In 1977, he goes 18 12 with a 2.97 ERA, 214 strikeouts again. It was the first time a Houston pitcher had put together back-to-back campaigns of 18 or more wins. And little did anyone know that he was actually in the midst of four straight seasons with 18 or more wins. In 1978, Jr. is out of his mind on a mission to dominate opponents. Now the team didn't fare well. They finished below 500. But Jr. He kept that Houston Astros faithful excited as he chased 300 strikeouts in the season. In his final start of the season, he rings up rolling office in the second inning, and he would finish with 303 strikeouts in a, in the season. 1979, Jr. takes it to a whole other level, as it would truly be the best work he ever did. After getting off to a slow start. JR, would steady himself, win 11 of his next 13 starts to finish 18-13 and 13 with an NL-leading 2.71 ERA and a whopping 313 strikeouts. JR's fame and talent is undeniable by now. He had joined Hall of Famers Sandy Koufax and Nolan Ryan as the only pitchers in the modern game to notch 300 strikeouts in back-to-back seasons. Despite his second season of 300-plus strikeouts and a lead leading ERA, uh, the side voting was heavy on wins and losses and saves back then. And he finished third behind closer Bruce Suter and teammate Joan Necro, who won 20 games. Simply put, JL was robbed in 79. No closer should have won it over him, unless it was, you know, like this crazy historic season. And Richard was just flat out better than runner-up and teammate Necro that year. He is. Go look at the fucking numbers. You make your own choice. By opening day, 1980, eighty, Jr. is elite. Arguably one of the best pitchers in the game now. At 30 years old, he has matured and he has learned to stay within himself. And he's poor NL batters. They got no fucking chance. He is a no-hitter threat every time he toes the hill. At this point, JR appears to be unstoppable, and that's no exaggeration. He has already gathered more success than any pitcher ever in the history of the Astros organization, and his career is surely, surely destined for immortality and greatness. JR gets the opening day ball in 1980. He retires the first 19 Dodgers he faces that day before finishing with a complete game two-hit victory. In his second start, he pitched five scoreless innings versus the Braves before leaving with shoulder stiffness and a no decision. All right, no need to worry. My boy is back. His third start was brilliant as he again has his way with the Dodgers throwing the only one hitter of his career damn you Reggie Smith looking like Isaac on the love boat with that stash and throw Well, after that game Jr. began talking himself out of games early complaining of a variety of ailments in his shoulder back, forearms and he often told me Mr. Jake, the arm was dead I had these weird fucking black spots on my finger which I later found out was because the blood wasn't flowing properly throughout my body and even with all this going on, JR is winning ball games, if not dominant. He goes into the All-Star break with a 10-4 record and a 1.89 ERA. Now, JR is dealing with all this. He knows something isn't right. But all around him, people are now looking at him and they're whispering that JR is acting like a petulant fucking diva. That he's really not hurt. He's just acting out because newly signed free agent Nolan Ryan makes more money than him. After signing that record breaking million dollar a year deal. And I'm going to tell you right now. He and I talked about this plenty. Complete fucking horseshit. As JR told me. Mr. J. I was making almost $900,000 a year in 1980. What I look like being mad over $100,000. It all makes sense. Then there was the scuttlebutt. That Jr. was a loafer. Just a fucking horrible thing to say about any player without proper facts. But especially a black pitcher in the 1980s. And that hurt Jr. That dude is a proud fucking warrior. He don't care about Nolan Ryan's paychecks. And he damn sure ain't no loafer. Some theorize that Jr. was on drugs. And let's keep it real. The stories and reports swirling around Richard, were lathered, lathered in racist undertones. And to his last breath, Jr. always wondered why he was treated that way. He literally gave all he had to that club. He almost had to fucking die to prove that a few racist fucks were wrong. So, I'd like to ask all the powers that be from that era the question for my friend. Why did you act that way? And why did you say all those vile, disgusting things about a guy who literally gave your team and your city everything he had until he couldn't? Have you no fucking shame all these years later? And why isn't my boy's number retired within the Astros organization? I promise you, JR, I will keep asking those questions for you until I can't, my friend. This is really emotional, but I digress. In 1980, all right, bear with me, folks. Despite all the health issues, J.R. is named the starting pitcher in his first All-Star game with 10 wins, 110 strikeouts, and a 1.96 ERA. He goes into the game with soreness in his shoulders and back. And he pitched an exciting, must-watch first inning of an All-Star game. Uh, you got to see this performance on YouTube if you haven't seen it. He does allow Ron Carew to get on base with a base hit. I mean, you know, join the crowd. You know, he did that to a lot of pitchers. But he strands him at third. Carew's over there with a little game and shit, acting like he's going to steal home. Uh, you know, K.R. told me he ain't worried about Carew. I long as at the dude out of the plane, Carew ain't going nowhere. End quote. The Jr. Richard uh, Richie Jackson at bat in this game is, you know, it's right up there with John Crutch, Randy Johnson, as far as classic All Star bats. JR throws a, nine, like a high 90 slider. It almost looks like a, a splitter. It goes straight to the ground. And Reggie read fastball. And Mr. October, he nearly cru- corkscrews himself into that lefty's batter's box. And he even turns to catch his Johnny's bench. And if you can read uh, lips, he, he literally says, What the fuck was that? And then he laughs. And uh, yeah, JR would finish him off with the heat. In his first start after that All Star game, uh, he goes to Atlanta, and Richards, he, Richard is pulled early. He's complaining of dizziness, and he said he couldn't see the catcher's signs. On July fourteenth, he was placed on the disabled list and underwent a battery of tests. They found some internal blockage in his shoulder, but it wasn't deemed serious. Which was a huge mistake. In fact. That team doctor suggested. That JR's manifest- manifestations. Are more likely. Emotional in fucking nature. Are you kidding me? You forking more malpracticing a-holes. Emotional in nature. Well. Well. Four days after this diagnosis, July 30th, 1980, the wheels of history are set in motion, and Jr.'s life would dramatically change forever when he collapses at the Astrodome during throwing drills with Wilbur Howard and had to be rushed to Southern Methodist Univers- Hospital. Turns out, after all, junior wasn't a diva. He wasn't lying. He wasn't loafing. He wasn't hooked on fucking drugs. And his problems were most certainly not emotional in nature. Jr. suffered a major stroke that day. And he probably would have died without a quick response and emergency surgery. The blood flow in Jr.'s right side of his neck had been completely restricted the emergency surgery was performed to restore blood flow to his brain. In fact, it was later realized, and this horrified me when Jr. told me this, actually. He had no less than three strokes that year with arterial blockage in his right arm, and he was diagnosed with a condition known as thoracic outlet syndrome. In layman's terms, it meant Jr. could start some of these games feeling fine, but the constriction of blood Would eventually cause his arm to go numb, and and that explains why JR would have to be pulled early in some of these games. After more surgery in September of 1980, JR went about the business of recovery and attempting a comeback, but it wasn't meant to be. His left side had been partially paralyzed, and his motor skills had diminished so much. That he could never relearn the coordination skills required to pitch in the majors. And I'll never forget how sad I was when he told me. I was never Jr. again. The baddest lion in the valley. Now laid dormant. And he admitted it. And he was in massive depression. After the team quietly released him in 1982. And shortly thereafter. His life's completely spirals out of control. He lost over $300,000 in bad business dealings. His agent left him in the lurch, corrupt as fuck. Another seven hundred k down the drain after a messy divorce. Eventually, the game, the career, the money, the fame, it all dried up. And all Jr. had left was fuzzy baseball memories and a lot of fucking debt. Eventually, the baddest line in the valley is homeless and destitute. He is literally living under a bridge, less than ten miles from the Astrodome. He's too proud as friends and former teammates for help. And I read an article once that said Bob Watson had heard that Jr. was uh, living living under this bridge, and Watson was disturbed by this, and he reached out to help. And I asked Jr. if this was true. And he said, my memory is not the best, but I don't remember it that way. I remember a fan stopped under the bridge one night and asked me if I was J.R. Richard. I said yes, and he told me to get in the car. I could stay with him until I got on my feet. So that's what I did. And then he went on to tell me his feelings about the Astros. And they weren't very nice. And to me, his feelings are justified. He sued the organization a few years after the stroke. He won a million dollar settlement. You know, considering they kept saying nothing was wrong with him, you know, it was emotional and fucking nature. You know, that's their diagnosis. I, who gave, where, where'd that guy get his degree from? Disneyland? Since the lawsuit, the club had a, you know, a contentious, disrespectful relationship with JR. Even after that 1979 ownership was long gone, things didn't get any better during the the next regime. He would repeatedly ask for a job doing anything with the club, but they could never seem to find anything for him. They inducted him into the Club Hall of Fame, but he told me straight up, they just did that shit to pacify me. Why isn't my number retired, Mr. Jake? And look, he ain't wrong. Houston, I posed the question for my friend. Why isn't JR's number retired? Seriously can any of you answer that question logically for my friend of all the astro pitchers who had their numbers retired guys like Larry Turk or Nolan Ryan Mike Scott uh, Don Wilson Jim Umbrick not only Ryan had a better astros career especially if you consider the incredible dominance that was cut short by forces way beyond JR's control I mean, come on, Astros. Do the right thing. Retire Jr.'s number. I got to give a shout out to Reverend Floyd Lewis of the New Testament Church of South Houston for really helping Jr. overcome homelessness and the despair and rejection. And this is a time of life when, you know, Jr. is way down, man. He, he's heavy emotionally. He's, he's heavy. And... He was spiritually tied to an anchor that was pulling him deeper and deeper into this deep ocean of depression. In time, J.R. Richard himself became a minister of the church for someone who had been at the top of the mountain. The baddest line in the valley. And had eventually had to claw and fight his way out of the pits of hell. J.R. always had this unwavering belief in Christ. And I always took solace in that. Sometimes he just wanted to talk about Bible verses that he read and how it related to his story. And it was fascinating. He was poignant, honest, God-fearing, and he didn't give two shits about people who called him bitter. He wasn't bitter. Well, maybe a little bitter. But can you blame him? Can you? He never forgot how all of a sudden no one came around when you were recovering from a stroke. And you've lost everything that ever meant anything. He wasn't necessarily bitter, but he was saddened by the rejection. And he did tell me once, though, that had his career not been cut short, he would have broken that all-time strike count record. <laughs> and he meant it. We, you know, we had a big debate on that. He also told me the biggest thrill of his career was starting the 1980 All-Star Game, which ironically was a precursor to the end. But he told me, I earned that. No one gave me that. I totally earned that shit. With blood clots in my shoulder, Mr. Jake. I was still the baddest line in the valley. And you were, my friend. On August 4th, 2021... I was shocked to get a call in my day job telling me that Jr. had passed due to complications from COVID-19. He and I were planning a trip to Kansas City together. And I kept telling him with his medical background, we should wait for our trip because I didn't want to get him exposed to the virus. You know, uh, a guy recovering from stroke. But we were both looking forward to enjoying the Negro Leagues Museum together, meeting Bob Kendrick. And doing a couple of live shows in Kansas City. And I'll never forget JR. He was a true friend. He often told me he loved me, and I believed him. I think of him often. I think of him challenging me to do better, to be better, to keep pushing for my dreams in this industry. He believed in me. In the end, all right, I gotta give me a second, folks. In the end, JR wasn't intimidating after all. He was nothing like our first meeting. Once he knew I would never betray his trust, he was a mountain of love and scripture. And for a person who self admittedly had lost memories from the Tratischoke, he never lost his ability to say something that would make me just stop and think. He he truly had his profound moments. So, today on your 73rd birthday, I humbly add you to my collection of ballplayers, JR. One day, you and I will see each other again. And I can't wait to resume our talks again. I picture you and I doing a podcast up in heaven, brother. Wait for me by the gates, bro. Happy birthday, J.R. Richard. May your story be told until the end of baseball time. And I didn't use any clips from that last living interview with J.R. Richard that I had the honor of being a part of. But if you want to hear it, you can go on over to our Backwards K-Pod YouTube channel. And get the one-on-one there. Uh, I do want to play this one little clip that I have there from the interview, though. And it always makes me smile when I hear it. And it also makes me tear a little bit, so bear with me. Honestly, my tears have been impairing my vision here for the last couple minutes or so. So bear with me. I love that. (laughs)
0: I uh, my brother. Hey, <laughs> okay, Mr. Jake. Yes, sir. If we let the dealer go to Kansas City, I would love to have you there. Absolutely. I'm going to talk to uh, Mr. Kendrick, and I would love to, to do something with you this summer. We'll go up to Kansas City. I'll meet you up there. We'll do a couple shows together. I would love to do that. I'm, I'm, I, uh, can't, yeah. I can't wait to meet you, Mr. Richards. Yeah, we, we, got, we got to bring our i with us. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll bring Reggie, and we'll bring my friend Classy Todd Blassie, who's Reggie's friend. And, and we'll, uh, we'll make a, a good week out of it. Mr. Richard, I want to thank you for taking time out of your very important schedule. I know you don't do a lot of sit-down interviews. And for you to do that with me, I feel totally honored. And I love you, brother. You have a great life. You take care of your family. And let's get together this summer and go head out to Kansas City and uh, hang out at the Negro Baseball uh, Museum. And Jake, I love you more and I thank you for your for your time and your attendance to even include me in your in this uh in this in this interview. Thank you. It was a, a privilege and a pleasure that I would always be grateful within you and I love you more than you love me because I'm not gonna look love me, Jake. <laughs> that's good stuff, man. All right, Mr. Richard. Again I wanna thank you. You and Reggie, have a great day, and uh, I'm sure we're gonna be talking quite more in the future. All sure. right, uh, and that's the number, Jake. I'm going to just call you sometime to just, uh, just say hello. It's it's anytime. It's an open invite, my friend. I'm, I will always let any badass ace pitcher call me at any time of the day. Okay, Jake, before we leave, my wife is she looking at me mean? Like, I don't know what she said. I don't know what she I don't know what she I hear you. <ya. laughs> All right, Mr. Richard, thank you for your time, sir. You're the great great. Great day. All right,
1: thank you, sir Jay. Thank you. Bye. And honestly, folks, who knew a snake could cry? I mean, I know some of you are probably calling me a pussy right now, but I don't even care, man. Uh, That that clip right there, it really touches me. You can, I mean, he was a true friend, and he meant everything he said. That dude would call me out of the blue. I've interviewed many guys, and he is the only one. That ever called me, sent me Christmas texts. He was truly a friend. And I miss that dude every single day. Whew, man, this has been emotional. And there you have it, folks. I now my friend J.R. Richard in my collection of ballplayers. And I can't stress how humble I feel to have a platform on which I can honor my friend. I hope you guys enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed telling it. Of course... Uh, if you want to learn more about my friend here, there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, the Society of Baseball Research has some fantastic stuff about JR. Videos on YouTube of him dominating uh, AL hitters in the 1980 World Series. Uh... There's even a full game that he pitched against the Pirates on YouTube. You want to check that out. Where he's basically, you know, he's annihilating Bucko batters. All kinds of stuff out there. I'm sorry. I'm really trying to hold it together. And I hope someone out there will help me to keep my friend's memory alive forever. Before I get out of here, let's take a look. Status line in the valley and his Major League Baseball stats, James Rodney Richard, my boy, born 73 years ago today in Ruston, Louisiana. Drafted by the Houston Astros, number two overall out of Lincoln High School in Ruston, Louisiana, 1969, the number one draft pick that year. Jeff Burrows from the Washington Senators made his major league debut on September 5th, 1971 at the age of 21 versus the San Francisco Giants. Now, listen to this debut stat line, ladies and gentlemen. Nine innings pitch, he scattered seven hits, 15 strikeouts, three walks, and two earned runs for the win. And folks, this ain't Strasburg taking on some anemic Pittsburgh Pirates offense in his debut. That Giants lineup was stacked. It was the second best in the NL that year. Ten-year career. All with the Houston Astros. 22.2 career war. They pitched in 238 career games. 1,606 innings pitched. With a 6,674 batters faced. Of those six thousand six hundred and seventy-four batters faced, one thousand four hundred and ninety-three career strikeouts. And that's at his 30, you know, age thirty season. I, I gotta think at this trajectory, I don't know that I could agree with my boy about him becoming an all-time strikeout record. Blah, 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 blah. But three thousand, you know, that's doable, JR. You strike out three times a batter, you get in the hall. It's that fucking simple. Win loss record of 107 and 71 for a 661 winning percentage. 3.15 ERA, 19 career shutouts, 76 complete games. He's a Clydesdale, folks. Remember that. He was never a loafer. 2.86 FIP, which is most impressive. 1.24 whip. Yep. He averaged eight-point strikeouts for nine, and he finished with a 108 ERA+. One-time All-Star, three times in the top seven of voting of the NL Cy Young Award. And two times, he was in the top 20 of NL MVP voting. And besides his All-Star start in 1980, the biggest thrill of his baseball career was... Becoming a member of the renowned Black Aces. And growing up, Jr. loved Bob Gibson. That was his guy. And He once told me I can remember uh, listening to him on the radio in the World Series. Dominating Tigers batters. And I thought to myself, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be. He loved Bob Gibson. In fact, he once met Bob Gibson, and Bob Gibson told him, I wish I could have thrown it as hard as you do. He'll never forget that. The Black Aces are an exclusive fraternity of 12 black pitchers of American descent who have won 20 more games in a season. Joining Bob Gibson in this club was truly one of the biggest honors in his lifetime of achievements. And folks, I think that's where I'm going to put in the books. Again, thank you so much for joining me this week. I promise to try to be better next week. And with the J.R. Richard tribute show getting smaller and smaller, in my rearview mirror, I chop. <laughs> the head of our baseball hydra only to see two more baseball topics grow in its place with the WBC tournament set to start tomorrow I'm going to have my good friend Abel Rosario call in to talk the history of the tournament as well as the current 2023 classic setup that will be a weekend by next week and you might remember a couple months ago when Abel stopped by and explained the World Cup to us ignorant yanks well, he's coming through again and we're gonna bring you the skinny on this growing international baseball phenomenon called the World Baseball Classic. But look, that's another story for another pod here at Bad K pod. A lot of craziness going on here at BKP. <laughs> we got we got sponsors now and Bud Light ...and the Crawfish Hand Cleaner. By next week, those products will be incorporated fully into the show here... ...as well as our social media sites. I'm going to break all of this down soon for the audience. I got the manager's Deadpool on the horizon... ...the Benny Ayala interview... ...I got a kangaroo court charge on my desk that needs attention... ...and I'm about to pick up the pace here... ...as we roll into the 2023 season... ...here at Backwards k Pond, ...where we collect ball players and their stories. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch, looking bored, AF. Uh, spring is here. Take those little rugrats outside. Play a game of catch. Thank y'all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shay Hillebrand told me in our one-on-one sit-down with open kimonos, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. See you next week, c Freaks. Peace.